Hi. This is the second in our new series, Songs to Return to. We're looking at what are known as the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, God's people sang these together as they traveled up to Jerusalem to worship Him and to celebrate festivals. And I believe as we restart in-person meetings to worship together for the first time in 16 months, God wants to speak to us out of these psalms. Today, we're going to be unpacking Psalm 133, and this is what it says. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It, as is, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I said last week that psalms often start by summarizing the main point that the psalmist is making. And in Psalm 133, David does just that. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Today, we're going to be exploring the whole theme of unity and why God blesses it. Now, this Coke can isn't here as product placement. Growing up in the 70s, I saw some very clever Coca-Cola marketing. In 1971, they released uh, the advert, Buy the World a Coke. And in the advert, there were young people from nations of every country standing on an Italian hillside, and they were all singing a song. And this is what they were singing. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. The message was obvious. Harmonious global unity was achievable through the real thing, Coca-Cola. Well, we all know that that's not true. However, a previous company president apparently made it his goal that no one should die through, without the opportunity to first taste Coca-Cola. Officially, at this moment in time, there are only two countries in the world where you can't uh, officially get hold of Coca-Cola, uh, North Korea and Cuba. So, if that's the case, then we must be really close to world harmony according to Coca-Cola. Sadly, Coke hasn't prevented rows over Brexit, over vaccines, fallouts among the royal family, or disagreements over COVID restrictions. When was the last time that we saw genuine unity? We all long for it. We all long for harmony between us and between uh, nations of the world. 
We all long for it because we know that it would make such a difference in our country, in our city, in our workplace, in our university, our college, our school, our street, and even in our homes. And in this psalm, we find the keys to genuine unity. And the first key is this. Unity is a mark of God's kingdom. Now, back in the 70s, uh, there was another television advert. Uh, I think you're probably uh, wondering what I was doing in the 70s, watching TV all the time. Well, maybe that's the signs of a misspent youth. But the advert was for a hairspray, and the hairspray was called Harmony. Uh, And in the advert, uh, there would be a, a girl walking down the street, flicking her hair, Uh, in uh, the breeze and the hair would flick from side to side and the punchline of the advert was she's wearing Harmony hairspray. You could tell by just the way she moved her head and her hair. uh, It stood out from the crowd. Again, obviously, uh, that was nonsense. But in today's world, The psalmist is telling us that genuine unity should stand out. It should make us, as God's people, stand out from the crowd. David is telling us that unity should be a mark of us as God's people. Why? Well, unity originates from God himself. In the Bible, we see that he is the triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling together through eternity in perfect harmony. He created a perfect world, fully in harmony with each, each part, with each other. God loves unity, and yet He has created each one of us different. So what's important is unity, not uniformity. We haven't been created to be uniform, but we have been created as God's people to be of one heart and one mind. And so in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were different, yet lived together in peace. And in Genesis 3, we read that when Adam and Eve turned away from God's plan and his perfect way for them to live, and they gave in to the devil's temptation, disunity entered the world. And disunity is a mark of our sin, our living without reference to the God who created us to live in perfect unity. Sin means that our relationship with God and with each other has been damaged. And ever since the beginning, the Bible tells us that God has been looking to restore unity. He's been looking to bring his people back together into harmony with himself and also with one another. Paul talks about us being reconciled to God through what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. When Jesus died for us, he dealt with all our wrongdoing, all our, what the Bible calls our sin, that we could be back into, come back into relationship with a holy God, that we would be reconciled to God, the Bible says, 
and then be able to be reconciled to one another. The Greek word that Paul uses uh, for perfectly being perfectly united in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 it was used that word was used in everyday language to describe a surgical term for setting bones that were broken Paul was in effect uh, using it to describe resetting broken relationships our broken relationship our broken relationship with God who created us and with each other and as we align ourselves to Jesus and all that he's done for us and as we align ourselves to God's perfect way of thinking broken relationships can be reset God wants to use us to bring uh, unity and harmony harmony into relationships in the world that we live in what about us is unity a mark of us as God's people is this season uh, one where we are finding ourselves frustrated with other people irritated with those around us disappointed with things that are going on are we uh, supporting one another or are we backbiting and uh, chewing over other people's failures and mistakes God wants us to be a people who are perfect uh, in perfect harmony with one another you see spirit inspired unity in the local church will have an impact it will make a difference in the early church we read in Acts chapter 2 that all the believers were together and had everything in common and as a result the power of God we read was seen amongst them unity is key if we are to see God's kingdom come in all its power amongst us in these days our world is marked by fractured relationships and God's kingdom is marked by unity there is one gospel and we are one new man in Christ that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 wherever we come from whatever we back our background whatever our social status God says that in Christ we are one new person it's why Paul is confidently able to say that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says that in Ephesians chapter 4. Unity is to be a mark of God's kingdom. The second thing is this, that unity is good and pleasant. Unity is good and pleasant. So what's the difference between something that's good and something that's pleasant? Well, John Piper suggests that good is what we ought to be and what we ought to do, whilst pleasant is something that we enjoy. When we look through the Bible, there's a couple of occasions where these two words, good and pleasant, appear together. And it's in two of the Psalms. 
The first one in Psalm 135, verse 3, says this, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. And in Psalm 147, verse 1, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. The psalmists are saying that God is good, and so it is good for us to praise him. It's our duty, but more than that, it must be our delight. Likewise, the writer of the Psalms is saying that unity is a duty for us as followers of Jesus. But it must also be our delight. It is something that we should rejoice over. You see, unity that makes us look as if we've been baptized in vinegar does no good at all and dishonors God. You see, genuine unity, our genuine unity, is found in God and in us praising Him together. And other people see this unity uh, in, through the way that we think about God. We do that in the same way. That, that marks our unity. We all recognize that God is holy and just and pure and righteous and yet he is loving and also our Father. There's biblical unity. We believe what the Bible says about God. And we worship this God together. That's our spiritual unity. We love gathering together to worship God. And that's why in these next months we're coming back together again corporately to worship him. Because it's powerful and precious to us. Our unity is also seen through our common faith and the way we outwork it together, the way we live our lives together. We care for one another. We love one another. It's our church unity. Annie and I love being part of this church family with you. Unity really is good and pleasant. The third thing I want to draw from this psalm is that unity is precious, but it's something that we don't deserve. David, in this psalm, he uses two analogies to explain uh, the unity that he's talking about. Firstly, he describes it like a precious oil that's poured over the head of Aaron, Israel's first high priest. Now, Aaron's role was to stand in the gap in between the broken relationship between uh, God and us, the relationship that we'd broken by our willful turning away from God. The Bible calls it our sin. And the high priest stood in the gap. He mediated between God and men. And so uh, uh, for our praise to be acceptable to God, uh, the high priest had to offer sacrifices, sacrifices of blood, And as a result of that, God accepted mankind's praise and worship. 
But this high priest, Aaron, was a man just like us. He was no different from us. He was flawed himself. And so before he could do that, he had to offer sacrifices for his own sin, the things that he'd done wrong to offend God. When Aaron and subsequent high priests, because Aaron died, when they were appointed, they were first anointed with oil. And here comes the point of what David is saying. It wasn't just any old oil. It wasn't just any old olive oil. It was oil that was mixed with sweet-smelling, precious spices. And it was made by a skilled perfumer. And this oil was poured over the high priest's head. And yet this oil was so precious, no one else could make it and no one else could use it for any other purpose. And David is saying that unity is like this precious and fragrant oil. But that isn't the main point that he's making. Unity is like the oil that's poured over Aaron's head. But the point is this, there is so much oil. It runs over his head and runs down his beard and onto his clothes. It's literally pouring over him. It literally gets everywhere. Now in my bag that I carry around with me, everywhere I go, I carry some oil. And I carry some oil because in James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, uh, there's some verses that say this, uh, are, are you sick? If you are sick, then you ought to call for the elders of the church and they will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer, their prayers uh, will bring healing if the prayer is offered in faith. That's what the Bible encourages us to do. It's something that Tim and I did earlier this week. And that oil in my bag, I have to double bag it. It's double bagged in my rucksack because the oil gets everywhere. It manages to leak out, gets everywhere. Now, I want you to understand this. When David is talking about this oil being precious, uh, this unity being precious and something we don't deserve, and he's using oil as an analogy to make the point, he isn't saying unity is good like oil that's fragrant and precious, but it gets everywhere and it just makes everything messy. He is saying that unity is like this fragrant, precious oil that is abundantly poured over flawed characters like you and me. You see, Aaron didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve to be anointed with oil. We don't deserve unity. It is a gift from God. It is a gift from the risen Christ. And it's unity that's poured over us. And it, it literally overwhelms us, overflows. It is abundant. It is unity that's precious and something that we don't deserve. And it's why disunity is so shocking amongst God's people. Do we value unity? Do we have bad attitudes towards others? Are we openly critical? 
If so, we have lost sight of the overwhelming grace of God towards us that flows over us and should change our hearts. Unity is precious, but something we don't deserve. Finally, unity points us to Jesus. The psalm goes on to say that unity is like dew from Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion, where Jerusalem was located and where God's people were traveling to sing this psalm. I want you to uh, follow this carefully. Now, Mount Hermon is located north of modern-day Israel. At the time the psalm was written, it was actually part of Israel. Uh, Hermon is, Mount Hermon is located between Lebanon and Syria. It's over 9,000 feet high. Mount Hermon is abundant with life-giving water. Clearly dew uh, occurred on Mount Hermon and it, uh, it was refreshing and brought life. At the time, Mount Hermon would have been the highest mountain in Israel. It was 120 miles north of Mount Zion where Jerusalem was located. Uh, Mount Zion was only a quarter of the height and it was much drier. In fact, probably bone dry. And the temple where the high priest mediated between God and man was located in Jerusalem. John Piper suggests that this unity is like the life-giving water that flows from Mount Hermon falling down on Mount Zion, on Jerusalem, where God's high priest does his work and here God gives eternal life, life forevermore. David is prophetically pointing to Jesus as he writes this psalm. He doesn't know it, but David's a prophet and he is pointing to a day coming when one greater than Aaron would be amongst us. You see, Aaron and every high priest that followed him foreshadowed Jesus. Jesus would come not to deal with our sin day after day like the high priest did, but he would come and deal with our sin once and for all. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus is our great high priest. And life-giving water has flowed from the heights of heaven down to a Roman cross outside Jerusalem where Jesus died for you and for me. And Jesus gives this life-giving water to all who put their trust in him. This is what Jesus himself said in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus is promising living water to us if we put our trust in Jesus. Have you done that? If you've not done that, you can do that today. 
to a Samaritan woman at a well on a dusty, hot day at noon. Jesus says this to her, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Our unity, the unity that we have because Jesus died for each one of us and has made us into this community, this family, this church, is a daily reminder of the grace of God coming from heaven, flowing down from heaven to us. It's why Paul can say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. When I was in school, I loved playing football. And uh, the school football team, um, we, were, uh, we were all quite small like me. We were in a big side and we used to have to go and play other uh, more imposing teams in other parts of Swansea. And uh, they were bigger than us. They were very physical. And our only hope was the fact that we played together as a team. And unfortunately, what would happen after about 20 minutes our disunity would start to show to everyone watching on from the sidelines. We didn't support one another. We shouted at one another when things went wrong. We were mocking when people made mistakes. There was no trust. We blamed one another when things didn't work out as we planned. You know, we must not be like that as God's church. We are a church in these days facing insurmountable odds. We have an enemy who's actively working against us and our only hope is our unity. And if our commitment is to Christ and Christ dying for us, our promise to each other must be that I will love you and support you whatever comes our way. Whatever mistakes we each make, we will stand up for each other. Whatever failures we make, whatever disappointments there are, we, will, we are committed to standing together because we can do more together than we can apart. Our unity is a mark of God's kingdom. It's good and it brings great joy 
with it. We pursue unity because of all that God has done for us. We must never forget the amazing grace of God that has united us together through Christ. We have unity with God and we have unity with each other. And as we restart meeting together, there are going to be lots of opportunities for us to be grumpy and to moan about things not being the way we think they ought to be or the way that they were. Instead, let's make sure that the fragrance of unity fills our gathering together. So all who come among us see Jesus more clearly. Unity should be the perfume of our church. Jesus himself said that he was praying for us. He said, I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, Father. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Someone once said this, believers are never told to become one. We are already one and we're expected to act like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who loves unity. You are a God at perfect, perfect harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that you have created us in Christ Jesus to be one people, your people in these days. I pray that the fragrance of your unity that you bring would inhabit our gatherings. And in the coming days, many will see Jesus Christ for all he is and all he's done because of what you've done amongst us, your people. Amen.